I am not uh, normally a paranoid person. I tend to like most people, and generally speaking, most people either like me or uh, endure me. Either one is okay, I suppose. But every once in a while in life, you find yourself uh, on the wrong side of somebody, uh, somebody who's, who's uh, almost thirsty for your hurt. Uh, I kind of find myself in that situation right now. We're not talking uh, simple gossip or snubbing you in the hall or an anonymous hate letter over something you've done or haven't done. But somebody who's obsessed, uh, stalking, uh, ready to to hurt. I've I've had some threats uh, recently. I uh, shared with some people, uh, godly folk who I trust, and they said, you know, very soberly, they said, you know, these are very serious. Take these very seriously. And don't let your guard down because no doubt you're being watched. And in the moment when you're not paying attention, uh, this, this person will come in. I've been told that uh, this individual is here today. Wouldn't you like to be in my shoes? You are actually in my shoes. Because the same enemy is yours and is stalking you and has a contract out on you. I'm talking about none other than Satan himself. So I know some of you are going, oh, man, I thought he was serious. I thought it was something really dangerous. Sorry. But that does show a little bit about our understanding of, of our enemy as Satan. You, you know, if you were, were living in Baghdad today. How important would it be for you or for your children to understand the enemy? And wouldn't it be pretty important for you to understand how the enemy works? Your, your, your boy says, I'm going to go for a walk around the block. I'll see you later. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Maybe we're not going to do that. Your teenage daughter wants to get on the bus and go downtown and just do a little bit of shopping. No, 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 no. Let's, let's hang about that. You don't want to scare them. But reality is they need to know that there is someone out who's trying to hurt them. Now, now we are in a series. That's a good question. And again, we're not dealing with curiosity questions. Uh, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? And can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? And when we get to heaven, how old will we all look? Good questions, but not questions that really going to impact our faith. But this idea of your understanding and my understanding of who our enemy is, of Satan's influence in our life. Is, is radically significant because how we understand that question, how we understand the answer to that question will directly impact our faith. And so we're going to this morning look at this. You know, I could give a whole series to Satan, but I didn't think I should give a whole series to Satan. So we're going over like a, like a thousand foot flyover and we're just going to get a big picture. But the goal is when we leave the, this morning, the goal is to to understand from a biblical point of view who our enemy is. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, a lot of places we could go. But let me give you the, the background here on Luke 22. See, the, the, where we're going to be is the, the Last Supper. And Jesus has just announced that one of the, the apostles are going to betray him. He's going to betray him. And so they, they, first of all, get into this, you know, who me? Who me? Who me? And then they start turning on each other. 
Well, not me. I, I bet it's Matthew. You know, and Matthew's saying, whoa, 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 what do you mean me? Well, you're into money. No, 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 you used to be into money. No, not no, I bet it's Bartholomew. And Bartholomew's, no, 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 not me. My faith is stronger than yours. I mean, the least known in all. But come on, I'm not going to do it. I'm sure you guys are going to do it. And so they're pointing at each other back and forth and making accusations. And they're all coming back saying, my faith is stronger than yours. They got in this argument. Who was, who was the strongest? And then Peter jumps in. And you know Peter, right? He says, though all others may deny you, Lord, I will never deny you. Okay, this is the background. And then Jesus talks to Peter in chapter 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Three simple sentences in English. But we're going to unpack those. We're going to get underneath those a little bit this morning and try to draw some implications for us. Our understanding about this enemy that the scripture is very clear that we have. Um, you know, sometimes we think I came to know Christ. I'm a believer. Next stop, heaven. I'm going there. Everything's fine. Everything's set. Uh, no worries. And scripture would say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's not, I mean, you're going to heaven. Yeah, that's all set. But uh, the no worries part, let's think about that for just a second. And we need to understand who our, our enemy is here. Now, the first thing we notice is Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. First thing is Satan will sift. And what, what this, this means, easy enough implication, is that Satan is real and he's powerful. Satan in scripture is not a metaphor for evil. Satan is asking for permission to sift here. I mean, to ask, it means to communicate. You have to be able to think and string ideas together and know what you're looking for. You have to be a person to ask, not a metaphor. Satan is very real and he's very, very, very powerful. Now, in Christendom, we can go one of two ways. Often you find when you're talking to believers on their understanding of Satan. There's first of all, there's this total disregard for Satan. You know, oh, yeah, Satan. Uh, yeah, I believe in him. Guy with a little red suit, right? And the horns and the pitchfork and the cool and goes, yeah, yeah, I believe in him. Yeah, and the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. I got them all. I believe in all of them. Or kind of on that same vein, they go, well, they, they reason this out. They think if there is a Satan and he's working, he's probably on, you know, Billy Graham's front porch. He's probably in Washington. Who knows where he is? He's, been, he's not here. And me, I'm a peon. And I'm in western Pennsylvania. Everyone knows Satan lives in Vegas, not western Pennsylvania. He doesn't even come around here. This is not his, his place. So I'm pretty safe. So whatever he's doing somewhere else, okay, that's fine. But I'm not a big enough threat. He's not messing with me. That's, that's, that's the thought. Now, you swing the pendulum and you go the other side. And you go from a total disregard of Satan to a total obsession with Satan, right? Where every sneeze, every cough, every headache, every dandelion in the front yard, every clank in the car engine, it's Satan. Satan's doing this. Satan's trying to... And we give all kinds of credit to Satan for stuff that the Bible never gives credit to. Stuff I believe he's never done. But he'll take the credit. Yeah, sure, I'll take credit for that one too. He's, 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 we've given him all kinds of uh, obsessive thought that he really does not, is not worthy of. Uh, being alert and being obsessed are two different things. And so Christians will go one of two directions with this. Well, we, will, we will worry uh, and obsess or will totally disregard our enemy. And we need to have a biblical understanding of who Satan is. As we think about the fact that he's real, 
uh, I want you to look at verse on the screen, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These terms are Satan's hierarchy. Baby, it is, it is hell's org chart. Satan is very organized. He is not a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants adversary. He knows what he's doing. He's very, very organized. He knows what he's trying to get. He, he understands where he's going and how he's going to get there. Uh, what, what Paul is trying to remind us through the Holy Spirit, who our enemy is, it is not atheistic government officials. It is not Islamic militant folk. It is not that anti-Christian biology teacher or the media or the Democrats or if you're the other side of the aisle or the Republicans or those pagan relatives that give you grief when you when you go home. That's not the enemy. The enemy is rulers and authorities and powers of this dark. It is it is it is Satan's cohort. And Paul says, you got to get this right. you got to understand who your enemy is, because if you're not looking, if you're not alert, which we're told over and over and over in Scripture to be, if you're not, you're going to end up becoming lion lunch. It's as simple as, as that. So, so we need to know that there is a, a devil. He's real. And, you know, I'm, I, you know, my propensity for children's songs, but don't don't sing this one with me. But you probably learned in Sunday school, you know, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. Don't know it. <laughs> I knew it. You just couldn't. You couldn't resist, could you? Jude, eight and nine. It says, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own by These dreamers are false teachers. They, they reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You know, when you hear that song, you want to say, we've got to be careful here. Because Michael, probably a little bit stronger spiritually than you or I, probably has a little bit more insight spiritually to what's going on than you or I. You know, on the heavens org chart, you got the Trinity and right underneath them, maybe a long distance, but right underneath them is Michael. He, he is the man, the angel. And when he comes against Satan, he's not mocking. He's very serious. He recognizes that there there is respect here, not fear, but respect here. Uh, Satan is is very real. His his power is something that we need to be conscious of and alert to, though not to be afraid of. Also, you need to know that his power is focused. Verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon. Now, notice this, but the but there, he's linking the two sentences. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. However, I've prayed for you that you'd be healthy, that you might do okay financially, that Mrs. Peter's parents would like you. No, 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 no. See, Satan does not care about those things. He's praying that, that your faith may not fail. See, Satan is after one thing with us, and it's our faith. He, he can work actually much more sometimes through our affluence than he can through our poverty. He can accomplish what he wants to accomplish sometimes much more through our, our health than through our unhealth. 
Satan is, is after our faith. That's what he's taking shots at. If you were to look at, at Genesis 3, where he's coming against Adam and Eve, what's he want? He wants Adam and Eve to not have faith in God. That's his plan. And Matthew chapter 4, when he's coming against Jesus, what does he want? Does he want Jesus to go hungry? No, no. He says, eat, eat. Does he want Jesus to have to suffer hard things? No, no, you don't have to suffer hard things. I'll give you the kingdom. It's it's convenience my way, comfort my way. Is he trying to give Jesus a hard time? No. He's just saying, worship me, disobey. That which Satan wants from you and from me is our faith. That's what he's trying to get. That's what he's, he's going after. But we need to keep in mind that though Satan's real, though, though he, he's got a focus on you, what he's trying to accomplish to take down your faith, you need to understand that his power is limited. Uh, his power is limited. He doesn't have full reign, just does whatever he wants to do. No, no, no. Sa- Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, basically asked permission to sift you as wheat. Uh, sometimes we think that, that Satan is like a, uh, an evil God. You've got God over here, good, and you've got Satan over here, bad. And it's kind of like this dualism thing, yin-yang thing going on. And, and Satan is like an evil God. No, 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 no. Satan is like an evil Michael the Archangel. Okay, and that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh, he's underneath God. Is, Job chapter 1. Why don't you turn with me? Job chapter 1. You know, you know the story, but let, let's look at it. Verse 6. It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You know, I'd read that. I'd go, oh, oh, God, 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 God. Oh, don't, don't tell on Job. Please don't get Job in trouble here. Oh, no, no. But God knows that, that Satan has already taken note of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. He's saying, but yeah, oh, yeah, Job has great faith in you. But why not? I mean, he's not stupid. He knows that you're his daddy, Warbucks, and you're going to give him whatever you want to give. Of course, he, everybody would have faith in you. Look what he says now. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. He's after Job's faith, right? The Lord said to Satan, very well, then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Satan's power is limited. He has to get permission before he does anything to us. Now, this, this, this is really important because this is why Paul can tell us in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. He says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God will not allow. He won't give permission. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. And he could not say this if he was not over Satan, if he was not sovereign in control of Satan, if he did not know your limits and mine. We cannot sin and say, oh, God, the temptation was just too huge. I couldn't do it. God says, no, 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 no. I know your limitations and you were not tempted beyond your limitations. Uh, there's great, great comfort there, isn't it? That though we've got an enemy that we don't even understand. 
God limits him. Let's him go. And we'll look at that in just a second. But still limits that. Now, what is Satan's strategy? Now, this is, this is, this is huge. I mean, we could spend, again, a whole series on this one. How does he attack us? Uh, a couple things I want to mention, though. The first thing we think of when we think about Satan is usually temptation, which is certainly true. Uh, again, Genesis 3, he's tempting Adam and Eve. In Matthew 4, he's trying to tempt Jesus. He brings temptations towards us for the purpose of getting us to uh, add our faith. Now, here's the deal. Have you, just ask you, no raising hands, have you had uh, temptations come your way that you thought, you know, it's really just not a big deal? Small little things, of course. And you've acquiesced to them. Maybe nobody else knows they're going on. Satan knows they're going on. Very wise. He's getting erosion of your faith as you acquiesce, as you hold on, as you fall into the temptation. Satan's one of his key ways, one of his key strategies to get at our faith is temptation. But, you know, there's a second uh, tool that he uses. And we want to look at this one for just a second, because I believe this is one that we often miss. Um, Revelation chapter 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Accusation. Zechariah chapter three. Now, this is probably not one that you spend a lot book. You spend a lot of time in Zechariah three. Excellent. Excellent chapter. Uh, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. This isn't the guy that fit the battle of Jericho, different Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a man, a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, he says, I know all about him. You can't tell me anything that I don't know. I realize that what he's done and where he's been. And I have chosen him. Satan's accusation against us is is a major issue. I mean, if you ever got on your knees to pray, you need to know that Satan is is up in heaven accusing uh, God, accusing you to God. And he's doing it in earshot of yourself. I can't believe this person is trying to pray. For crying out loud after what they've been doing. You, Lord, you know what, where his mind was just a few minutes ago. And when that guy cut him off in the street, look, how did he respond? And now he thinks he's going to pray he's so holy. They ever think that? You get up and you go, yeah, it's, it's right. I've got I'm not listening to my, my prayers. And, and if you ever get tempted, you decide, I'm going I'm to beat this one, man. I'm going to choose what God wants. And he's up there accusing you to God. And, and he's within earshot. And so he's saying, oh, God, I can't believe this guy's going to decide to be so holy right now after the things that he's done, after what he said to his wife today, and after how she treated her friend. Come on, I can't believe this person. Oh, they're so holy. They're not going to make it anyway. They're going to fail, and it doesn't matter. And you get up and you say, yeah, it doesn't really matter. There'll be something else I'll trip on. And if you ever open your mouth to try to share Christ, he is hollering accusations at God's throne. But they're bouncing all around in your head. And what are they? They're, I can't believe this hypocrite. He doesn't even believe this himself. He has doubts and he has questions himself. And after how he's been living, he wants to try to call people into that life? Please. And you say, yeah, I might as well just shut up because there's another witness out there somewhere much better than I am. 
one of his primary ways of destroying our faith is accusation. You might ask, well, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin or if it's Satan? Easy enough. First of all, God's a good communicator, right? So if there's this foreboding sense, I'm not even sure where it is or what it's about. uh, Probably that's not from heaven. Uh, God will communicate specifically. And when he does, you know, you know what we do. We confess it. We, We repent, which means we take action to not go down that road again. We make restitution because that's part of it. And then we claim first John one nine, which is if we confess our sins, what? To do what? How many of our sins? All of our sins, even the ones you forget. And so if, in fact, you confess and, and you repent and you make restitution if need be and, and you, you go ahead and claim First John 1 9, if you are still feeling guilty, you need to know that is not from heaven. When I go to court and I don't do that very often, mind you, but if I go to court, I can tell the judge, judge, I don't feel guilty. You know, guilt, according to scripture, is not a feeling. It doesn't matter if you feel guilty or not, Mr. Harris. Bam, you're guilty. Likewise, if I go to court and I say, I feel so bad. And he says, well, you don't have to feel bad. Well, I feel guilty. Well, listen, I'm the judge. I'm telling you, you're not guilty. Bam. Guilt is a legal standing as much as it is a feeling. And if, in fact, you are feeling guilty, you need to know that if you've confessed, if you've repented, if you've made restitution, you rest on God's promises and if that keeps bouncing through your ear. But, 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 no, 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 no. I'm, I just wonder if there's some folk who something has happened maybe a long time ago and you've confessed it 80 million times and still that comes forefront of your mind on a regular basis. It's crippling you spiritually and you can't seem to get over it. Listen, it's not a simple turn off process, but you, 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 you repent, you confess it, you repent, you've done that, wonderful. You make restitution if you can, need be. And then you claim 1 John 1, 9. You claim it over and over and over. Reality is, I'm forgiven. You know, there's a story of a uh, missionary who was crippled with guilt. Something that he'd done in a past life, but he was crippled with guilt. He had to leave the field because it was, was, was destroying how he could impact people. So he's packing up and there's this gal that comes walking through the, the tribe. Godly, older tribal gal. And her reputation was that she talked with God. So the missionary pulled her aside and said, hey, listen, I understand you, you talk with God. She said, yeah, I do. He said, well, let's test this. Next time you talk with God, why don't you ask him what sin the missionary committed? She said, OK, I'll do that. So she takes off and a couple days later, she comes back around and the missionary sees her and pulls her aside and says, hey, remember, the, did, you, did you talk to God? She said, yeah, I did. And he said, did you, did you ask him what sin the missionary committed? She said, yes, I asked him that question. And did he answer you? And she said, yes, he answered me. And the missionary said, well, well, what did he say? And she said, he said, I don't remember. So often these things that, that, that have been under the cross, they're forgiven. They've been forgiven by God. And yet we allow hell to allow them to cripple us and to stop us and to keep us from understanding his grace, to keep us from sharing uh, his power. 
his strategy. It's, 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 it's huge in this, in this arena of, of accusation. Maybe, again, for some of y'all, you don't need any more message than that, uh, but be claiming his word. Now, is methodology. How does Satan do what he's trying to do? It's, it's an important question. Matthew 16. And you know this, this story. This is a pretty common uh, story as well. Jesus just told his apostles that he was going to be crucified. And usually he's told them this before, but they never caught it. You know, just kind of went over. But for some reason, Peter catches it this time. He's like, oh. so he pulls Jesus aside and he says, uh, Peter pulled him aside and began to rebuke him. He was rebuking Jesus. And he says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, I need you all to use your sanctified imagination for just a second. But let's pretend that we were there and we were watching Jesus and Peter have this dialogue. What might you see? What wouldn't you see? I'm assuming that Peter's not wearing a black cloak hooded cloak. I'm assuming he doesn't have pentagrams hanging from his neck, you know. He probably didn't sacrifice his cat the night before and drink some blood and listen to Ozzy Osbourne. And he, he probably, his head is not spinning. And we don't see anybody levitating. All of these things that we associate with meeting Satan, it's just, they're not there. This looks like just a normal interchange. Jesus and a friend. The friends maybe misguided a little bit by Jesus. But see, Jesus recognizes that this is how Satan works. When we think about it in encountering with Satan, let me let me ask you, is pictures in our mind? Are they developed by God's word or are they developed by Hollywood? Now, when we talk about meeting with Satan, how are you going to do this? Well, probably you're going to be in your car driving down the deserted road. You got lost. It's like midnight. It's usually all these things happen at midnight and the car breaks down. And there's thunder and lightning and you figure you got to get why you figure this. I don't know, but you figure you got to get out of the car and walk to that abandoned house that you saw the candle in the window. And so you walk to the house and you get there and, and it's, it's the door opens and you for whatever reason, you decide to walk. See, Freddy is in there, right? Man, that's where we're going to see Satan. Yeah, that's what Hollywood. Tells, that's where he is. But we need to know never in all the scripture does Satan ever come to scare the bejeebers out of you. That is not his goal. He never, he never does that. Now, when real angels come, they're always, the first line always is, fear not. You're not going to see the angels get together for a meeting and they, they're trained and they say, okay, first thing you got to say to these guys is, fear not. Okay, can you repeat everything? So, so they, they, they're always scaring people, but Satan never. Matter of fact, Satan's best tactic, right, is them not, like Job, not even knowing that he's involved. Uh, scripture lessons, no, I think it's 2 Corinthians 1114. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's not coming to scare you. If you're scared, ah, probably Satan's not where near that one. That's not not what he does. Now, if you look at look at this text for a second, Peter, and this is where we're going with this. Peter, guys, was not demon possessed. Peter was a follower of Christ. He loved Jesus. Matter of fact, Peter was going to take over from Jesus when Jesus left. Peter was kind of a high-ranking guy. And yet, Satan spoke through Peter. Now, here's the deal. Is it possible that one of the ways Satan comes at you and I are through well-meaning Christian friends? And this is a bit of a challenge because we're supposed to seek godly counsel. But we've got to be discerning because if you've got some friends like I do, good friends... 
but they love me a lot. And they don't want to see me hurt. And they, they want to see me get my just due. And they want to see, make sure that I'm, I'm healthy and that I'm taken care of. And, they, and they're going to tell me some things sometimes. Well, if I were you, I'd do this. And you're absolutely right to think that. And they're giving me all kinds of counsel. And they may be Christian brothers and sisters. But just because it comes out of the mouth of a Christian brother, you know, it could be coming out of the mouth of Satan. He masquerades as an angel of light. It, it's, I believe Satan's primary methodology is through people. It's how he, he influences us. So we just need to stop and, and ask ourselves when someone shares with us that we ask them to share. We need to be discerning, run it through the, 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 the level of God's word and not just take what is. Also, Satan's going to sift. That's pretty clear from the text. But also notice this. Jesus is going to pray. Verse 32, Satan is asked to sift you, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. That word for fail means to utterly fail, fail beyond recovery. It doesn't mean to stumble. Uh, I've prayed for you. And here the implication is really this. Unless Jesus would have intervened through his prayer, there's no way in the world Peter would have made it. Peter was thinking he was so strong. He was ready. But there's no way he could handle Satan if Jesus hadn't prayed. There's no way in the world you or I can handle Satan if Jesus doesn't pray. We say, well, I would hope he would pray for me. Well, he has and he does. John, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. It's you and I. I'm wondering if way back when, John 17, Jesus, when he prayed this, he saw my, my face in his mind. He's prayed for us. And you know, the greatest thing is he's praying for us now. Let me ask you, though, before I show this next verse. Do you think Jesus is wasting his time? Do you think Jesus is in heaven kind of do do Is it time to go? Is it time to go? You think that's what Jesus is doing? He's, he's making good use of his time. But what's he doing? Therefore, he is able to save completely. That's save our salvation. From those who come to God through him, because how's he do this? He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus prayed for Peter. Jesus prays for us. Now, what does Jesus pray for us? Does he pray that the house will sell? Maybe I hope so. Right. Uh, I don't know. But I do know he prays to protect us from the evil one. Jesus prays now. Another implication out of this is that you and I are to pray. Now, we, we just started a, a new um, uh, season of the elders, just selected, just in. And I've got the names on the board. But let me, let me mention something about these guys for just a second for y'all. These guys have been commissioned by God to, to make sure that the vision mission of the church happens. The church, now I've got, no, God can do what he wants to do. I understand that. But humanly speaking, the church is never going to arise above these guys. You can imagine if, in fact, there are board meetings and these guys, their faith has been compromised and they're not trusting or they're not walking close. Everything can bottle up. We're going nowhere. So let me challenge you to do this. Would you, would you take a name? Don't tell anyone which name, but just grab a name. And say, say in your own heart, between you and God, you know, Lord, for this, for this coming year, I'm going to pray for... Whoever you may never have even met this person, 
But I'm going to pray for whoever this person's name. And I'm going to pray that, that they walk close to you, that they are protected from the evil one, because so much is riding on this. Because when these guys say I'll be an elder, hell takes a target and puts it around their neck. It's imperative that we support our leadership of our church, our Sunday school teachers, your Sunday school teacher. Pray for the health and those things that are important to pray for. But don't forget, please, the most important thing to be praying for their walk with Christ, for their faith to be strong. Because if their faith goes off, they're going to be teaching a lot of things that could hurt a lot of people. Very, very important. Satan's going to sift. Jesus is going to pray. Hopefully we do, too. And then third thing is you will win. I like I like this one. It's that last Sentence Again, he says, Simon, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You know, you ask yourself this question. Why in the world does Jesus even give permission in the first place? You know, Jesus, here's a novel thing. Just say no. You know, when he comes and says, can I? No, no. That wouldn't that be easy. Just do that. Why does he say yes? Well, I think from this text, it lets us know, at least part of the answer. Jesus is going to want Peter to take over for him. But you know what? Peter's not ready for that task. Uh, Peter is thinking too much about his own faith. He's got a little bit too much confidence in his ability to stand. And Peter's thinking too little of other people's faith. And Peter's thinking that the battle is between himself and the Sanhedrin. That's what he's thinking. And Jesus has to get Peter ready for the task that he's going to give to Peter. You know what it is, is it's kind of like the, the Joseph scenario, Genesis. You know Joseph, right? He's sold into slavery by his brothers. And at 17 years old, he goes off to slavery. And, and lo and behold, he ends up to be second in command of Egypt. 20 years later, his brothers go to Egypt looking for food and they run across their brother that they sold into slavery. And they're going, oh, man, we're in huge trouble. We're, we're, we're dead. He's going to wail on us for sure. And, and Joseph looks at him in Genesis 50 and he says, whoa, 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 hang on. You guys meant this for bad, but God meant it for good. S- same issue. Satan means the sifting for bad, but God means it for good to purify To get us to that next level, to make us more effective, to make us, if nothing else, know him more intimately. Now, no one in their right mind wants sifting. No one in their right mind wants sifting. But when we do, when we are go through, we go through it. He's praying for us. And if we hold on, we will win. We'll win. Now, Keith Green wrote a song many years ago. I don't know if you all remember Keith Green. Uh, 25 years ago, I guess. He wrote a song, No One Believes in Me Anymore. It's fun. He says, Oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate your brightest light and make your night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind, my books read on your shelf. And have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They dabble in magic spells. They get their fortunes read. You know they heard the truth, but turned away and followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. You know no one's watching for my tricks, because no one believes in me anymore. Everyone likes a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. 
Hey, man, you ain't no sinner. You've got the truth within. And as your life slips by and you believe the lie that you did it on your own, don't worry. I'll be there to help you share our dark, eternal home. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as day slips into day. The magazines, the newspapers, they print every word I say. The world is just my spinning top. It's all like child's play. You know, I dreamed that it would never stop, but I know it's not that way. Still, my work goes on and on, always stronger than before. I'm going to make it dark before dawn since no one believes in me anymore. That's Satan's tactic. That's how Satan wants to affect you and I. And I, I would be remiss, according to Scripture, to say he's not very operative here at FAC. He knows about us. He knows about you. You know, that night, Peter was going to be sifted. And it was going to be a several-day sifting process to knock him off his high horse in many, many ways. He was going to go through some incredible fire. But when he came through, he'd be purified in a major way. Thirty years later, 30 years later, he would write this to some believing uh, folk who were trying to grow in Christ. He would say, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, not the government, not the media, not the Sanhedrin, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your command for me, command for you, is to be alert, to seek to honor God. And then Jesus, in his power, through his prayer, will take care, will purify, will make sure what happens, happens for his kingdom's sake. Would you pray with me?